Memorial Day is an American holiday, as you might know, commemorating the U.S. servicemen who fought for our nation. Today we will hear about another hero of the faith in the annals of Hebrews 11, which we just read, who fought the good fight of faith. To use the words of the Apostle Paul, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold unto eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was Abraham, even though he was amongst those that did not see the fulfillment of God's promise, which fulfillment was in the coming of the Son of Promise, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are evidences of Abraham's leading a separated life that we need to know and appreciate and take note of. Abram left Ur of the Chaldees, which is basically the area that is known today as Iraq and Iran, for the promised land, as we have already read in Genesis chapter 12, where he says, where the, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. He was telling him to leave Ur the Chaldees and your kindred, meaning your relatives, and your father's house. Leave it all behind. That would be like some who have left a foreign country where they were born, their native land, to come here to the United States, like our founding fathers and even many others over the lifetime of our nation who have sought refuge here in America, even to this very time. And it says also in verse 4 of Hebrews, I'm sorry, of Genesis chapter 12, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. He's obedient. And Lot went with him. He was his nephew. And who knows why Lot came? Because Lot, like Abram, was a believer in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it says, Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran, which was their first stop. No spring chicken. It goes on, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered. And then they came into the land of Canaan. Moving is no small undertaking, as you all know, if you've ever had to move, even if it's from a small apartment, but especially if it is from a big house, like what our brother Abram, who would be called Abraham, experienced. And notice in verse 6 that he came into a place which was, of course, the northern part of the Promised Land, ancient Palestine. And the Canaanite was then in the land. So there were other occupants, and I want you to take note of that. And in 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And this is when he began to build these altars. Not, not many, but, but uh, 
one or two, or two or more, take note also. In our passage uh, that we read, it speaks there about how Abram, when he was called to go out of the place where he was from, in order that he might receive an inheritance, obeyed. That's a, a key mark of leading a separated life. And he didn't even know where he was going. Most of us plan when we relocate. I mean, we plan for any trip, but more particularly if we move from uh, one place to another, as I know some of the brethren have moved to other locations, even from our congregation. Unless you're driven from your country, like the Syrian refugees who have relocated in various parts of our county. And I know that from a course I took a couple years ago with Trinity on that very thing, building bridges to our Middle Eastern neighbors. Or unless God calls you. Unless God calls you. That's another uh, uh, reason that might uh, prevent you from planning your relocation. Abram always lived in tents. Tabernacles is another word for tent. He never settled down himself in a permanent place. In Genesis 12, 8, it speaks about how he pitched his tent between Bethel on the west and Hay on the east, and then he also built an altar. I think pitching the tent took plenty of time, but building an altar took a lot more time. He could have easily afforded a palace, and he had... The, the workers, they, they are called servants or slaves, because according to Genesis 13, 2, Abraham was very rich. He was rich in cattle, in silver, and gold. But no, Abraham was like one of the rich and famous who go on these perpetual road trips from country to country, in this case, to the promised land. It says that he sojourned in the land of promise as a strange country. And it would always be that to him. Thirdly, note, Abram built, it, built an altar when he arrived in Canaan. I've already read that. And what was that for? That was for animal sacrifices. Like Abel and Seth, the beginning of the history of the world, and of the history of redemption. And Noah and his family before him that we also took note of last time or previously, Abraham was taught that he needed atonement to come into the presence of a holy God. In 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20, it reads, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, Received from your vain, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. This is not how we're saved. We're not saved as some religions do that require that you pay to be saved, or you give money to the church to be saved, or relying upon traditions and commandments of men which make void the word of God. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who 
verily was foreordained, meaning this was planned before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, and was manifest, carried out in these last times for you. And that's speaking of from the time of our Lord's arrival on this earth. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him that taketh away the sin of the world. And that world would not just be those of the circumcision, the Jews. That is, those who are circumcised outwardly, but even those who are not circumcised. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, Paul would put it. For there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Promise of salvation. Fourthly, Abraham separated from his nephew Lot. And why? For the sake of peace. He was a peacemaker. And this is what God's people all must be. We cannot be fighting wars or starting fires. That's not our task. Because the world is on fire already. And, and the fire needs to be put out by the gospel. In Genesis 13, and you can follow this, you can track this on your own, but I'm, I'm, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm reading it from uh, what I have here before me. It says in 5 through 11 of Genesis 13, And Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. Lot, he was a rich man too. You know, when... Uh, you're uh, with uh, your uncle who uh, is, is blessed in this way. Hopefully, if you're, you know, if you're listening and if you're watching, uh, you might benefit as well. And the land was not able to bear them. Notice that. This big land. Now, granted, there are neighbors there. But this big land could not bear them as they dwelled together. For their substance combined was great. So they could not dwell together. This was the conclusion that Abraham came to. And Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't want fighting. He doesn't want war. He's like uh, some of us back in the 60s when we were, uh, uh, I wouldn't say I was a hippie, but I, you know, we, we, we want love and, and, and not uh, hate. We want peace and not war, especially during the Vietnam War. I pray thee, between me and thee, Lot, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, because we're brethren. This is another evidence of Lot's being a child of God and a relative, because, uh, especially for the Lord's sake. For, not, for is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself. In other words, you go. But it wasn't one of him saying, get out of here. It never was. As we noted before, how when Lot decided to make that move into Sodom, Abram was on his knees praying to God that it wouldn't happen. It wasn't a matter of, of his wanting to separate him for the sake of separation, but for the sake of peace. I pray thee, if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And I'm letting you have the first choice. He's what you might call an example of magnanimity. He was a magnanimous man. He really was. And an example of what Christianity should be about or is about. 
Sometimes you have to do that, as I said, to keep the peace. And yet you remain brethren, friends. It's not one where uh, there's the exit, but one in which you follow after them with prayer. You follow after them by asking uh, how they're doing. Uh, you just don't forget about them, you know, out of sight, out of mind, as the saying goes. And it goes on in verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. This was so lush, like the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt, which was another lush place, especially along the Nile, as thou comest unto Zoar. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And so that meant that Abraham, what? Went west. And they separated themselves the one from the other. But I'll tell you what, I know this to be a fact, they remained close. But they were brothers. And even when Lot got in a jam with his getting into the life of the Canaanites, which, which Abraham wouldn't and didn't, guess who bailed him out? Lot, but his uncle Abraham. Five, Abraham decided to leave Canaan and travel south. It says in Genesis uh, 12, 9 and 10, and Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. Now, why was that? Well, it says in the next verse, and there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, meaning to stick it out there for the time being. Kind of like what... Uh, um, Abimelech and his wife Naomi did going to Moab during a similar famine in that same land of promise. For the famine was grievous in the land. And that's a pretty good reason, wouldn't you say? But you know what? I still will say on the basis of my study of the life of Abraham, wrong decision. And you'll see why. Because one has to trust God. If God sends you somewhere, he will provide for you there. Will he not? He knows you have need of all these things. Six, God separated Abraham and Sarah from King Abimelech. This is in Genesis 12, 11 through 20. God separated Abraham and Sarah from King Abimelech. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt. He went way down there going into Africa. Then he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. She was a beautiful woman. His half-sister, which is what Sarai was, to Abram. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister that it may be well with me for thy, for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So here he was, wanting not to die, but to survive, for the reasons uh, given. Makes another wrong choice, this Abraham, brother of ours, in this occasion to lie and to deceive others, even if they are not un, uh, un I was going to say untrustable. They are not trustworthy. 
Reading on, and it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair, beautiful. The princess also, Pharaoh, saw her and they commended her before Pharaoh. Well, she must have been stunning. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And you know what that means. That's basically, you're, you're going to become one of his wives. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. What I gather from this, and that is that uh, this went to Abram. So his herds and flocks were multiplied. You know, the Bible says, the Lord knows them that are his. And let him that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Because when you don't do that, God will. He will cause you to depart. And depart they did. First, it says in 17, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Whoa. Oh. Maybe on the order of the pandemic, except in Egypt, in this locale, in this house, palace of the Pharaoh. Can you imagine that? Just to make a point, right? And that is that sin has a way of finding you out. The Lord, that is, has a way of finding you out. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? You've lied to me, is what he was saying. Why did you not tell me that she was thy wife? And not your sister. So that I might have taken her to me to wife. Therefore, behold, thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had, probably with what he had given to him as gifts as well. You know what the Lord Jesus would say to this? If you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Seven, Sarah had was to have her own son. And this would not be by adoption either. For uh, we note in Genesis 15, 2 and 3, uh, that uh, Abram had uh, his own thoughts on the matter. And that is, uh, why not my steward or my butler that has been in my house from the get-go? And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. He's lacking faith at this point, or at least he's being up front with God. And lo, one born in my house is mine Aaron. And that's, of course, Eliezer of Damascus. But neither will it be Ishmael, the son born to Sarah's mistress, Hagar, by himself, Abraham. Shameful. Shameful not only for Abraham, but shameful for Sarah. In Genesis 17, 16 through 19, And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Meaning that there will be even royalty and those in political high places that will be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Abraham, Abraham 
fell upon his face and laughed. <laughs> he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, This is Abraham, this is our flesh coming out. Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God ignores Abraham. He ignores that last statement and says, Sarah thy wife, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. In Hebrews 11, 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength. She sure needed it, for she was a pregnant mother of 90 years old. To conceive seed, to deliver a child when she was past age, childbearing, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Imagine how the Bible commends our patriarchs, commends Abraham, even in spite of his unbelief, commends Sarah, even in spite of her unbelief. Eight, Abraham was willing, as it were, to turn right around and sacrifice his only son out of obedience to God. In Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Where have we heard that terminology in the scriptures? Except when applied to our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And this is speaking about how what at least was in the mindset of Abraham when he was contemplating and, and, and approaching the moment of his slaying his son, sacrificing his son, as God commanded him to do, was already anticipating the resurrection. And that this would be a figure or a type of the one who would indeed rise from the dead. And not only himself, but all those for whom he came and lived and died and rose from the dead for Our Lord says in Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whosoever... He be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Again, this alluding to the great work of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world would probably have said to Abraham, or, or maybe he did indeed, you must be out of your mind. But that's what the world thinks of the resurrection too. But so what if it's true? So what if it happened? So what if God is true? Let every man be a liar. Nine, after Sarah's death, Abram wanted a wife for Isaac, but not from the Canaanites, as we noted, well, we didn't know it before, but we will now. Genesis 24, 1 through 4. And Abram was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abram in all things. And Abram said unto his eldest servant of his house, 
that ruled, that ruled over all that he had. Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. This is a way of swearing. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. He knew the principle that is laid down in Scripture about how two cannot walk together except they be agreed. He understood the principle and the commandment. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And they will be, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, whatever that may be, that is separating you and me. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be sons and daughters unto me, saith the Lord Almighty. Lastly, Abraham would not mix with the Canaanites because he understood that God had called a people, beginning with himself and Sarah, to a separated life from the world. In John 17, let's turn to it. John 17, 11. John 17, verse 11. In our Lord's high priestly prayer, as it is described, it reads, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, meaning my people. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And then jump over to verse 14 and 15. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. This is the prayer of our Lord for his church, for those for whom he would shortly die at Calvary. He says that, yes, we are in the world, that's, that's obvious, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer, that's a given. But he also said that we are not of the world. He says that very emphatically, even as I am not of the world, and they are mine, and they are yours, Father. And so I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them, Father, in the meanwhile, from the evil, from the evil one, and lead us not into temptation. Because... Finally, we are a peculiar people, a special people, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. We are the people of God, not the people of this world, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, even the mercy of salvation. 
through faith in Jesus Christ. In conclusion, why go through all this? Why go through all this trouble? Why leave your homeland? Why go somewhere where you know you're not going to settle down? And in the meantime, you will continue to live a life of a nomad, like the nomadic tribesmen that, that are in countries like in that very land. Living out of tents, always on the move, never settling down, chased from one place and then have to go somewhere else. And besides that, Canaan was belonged to another people anyway. Aren't you trespassing? And the truth is that Abraham would never actually take ownership of this land. Um, and he can't take, and he can't enter into relationships uh, with the Canaanites. That's something that was forbidden, but that's something that he wouldn't do, unlike his nephew Lot, of course. Except to be a good neighbor to your neighbors, uh, which believers are always to be, to do, so that your neighbors would be feeling safe by you being your neighbor and not threatened. Like in my neighborhood in Spring Valley, I'm, I'm glad I'm surrounded with neighbors I know that are good neighbors. Abram was told by God himself in a covenant promise or prophecy that he would have a large family as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. So where are they? He would only get to enjoy one son, who was the son of promise, though he, as we noted, had another son, Ishmael. But it would be his grandson, Jacob, who would have a large household, in this case, of 13 children. It would be Jacob's 12 sons who would carve up the promised land after returning from the land of bondage. So, why lead such a separated, if not alienated, existence from an unbelieving world in which we live? And by the way, negotiating that is not easy, is it? As we try to live out that principle that we are in the world but not of the world. Because we still have to associate with them, do we not? That is the world. But the answer is found back in what we had just read at the beginning from Hebrews chapter 11. How that by faith Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out of, or the Chaldees, they might have had opportunity to go back, of course. But now they desire a better country that is in heaven. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And so what was happening? Over time, over the years, as he walked with God, Abraham realized, realized more and more and more deeply 
in his soul, in his heart, in his life, that this earth was not his home. This was never to be his permanent home. Whether it was speaking about early Chaldees or Egypt or even the promised land of Canaan, Abram began to understand that his true home was there in heaven with God. And so he sets his sights upward. You set your sights upward, or are you just focused here and now and on staying here and on doing everything you can to remain behind, as it were? I hope not. I hope you're open to the will of God. I hope you're open to, the, to, uh, to God's possibilities, which ultimately are realized in our transferring, relocating, moving from here, not into another state like Arizona or South Dakota or North Dakota or Pennsylvania or, or, or Florida, but to another country, a better country, even the heavenly. So are you looking forward to being in heaven yourself? In 2 Peter 3, 13 and 14, 2 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. I think it's going to be a holy, perfect, and sinless place. We leave all our sins at the door when we enter. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Meaning that because of his long suffering, more sinners can be saved and more sinners can be in heaven, even his elect. So, are you looking forward to being in heaven yourself? And then finally, is the reason of your hope of being there the right one? And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, let us look at 1 Peter 1 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith of the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is our life in a nutshell. Our life is all wrapped up in him, in Christ. And God is, is always ready. He is always ready to bring us home. But what about you and I? Are we ready? Are we ready? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would work in our hearts to give to us, to revive in us, to develop in us a understanding and with that, a desire as you did our brother Abraham and our sister Sarah. 
in their life of separation that they live in their day. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none on earth that I desire beside thee. Though my flesh and my heart fail, yet God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Help us, Lord, to the end that we may indeed show ourselves to be your people. And especially in a time when the faith of others fail and where, where Lord, if you were to return, you would not find faith on the earth. And so to this end, make us strong, make us faithful, make us disciplined, and make us diligent as good soldiers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.